0: Well, tonight is our last midweek service before we enter into Holy Week next week. Um, And so we're going to be able tonight to finish up what the small catechism says on the means of grace or the sacraments. And so we will finish up our talk on Holy Communion tonight. And again, I will try to leave some time at the end for any questions, for any discussions not only about communion, but about any of what we talked about, about sacraments, baptism, confession, communion, anything that might be on your mind. Um, So tonight I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and then verses 17 through 33. Um, So after what we read last week, we read the words of institution when Christ at the last supper gives the sacraments to his disciples, So after that text, 1 Corinthians 11 is really the second most substantial discussion of communion that we have in the New Testament. Uh, So St. Paul is addressing the church in Corinth uh, specifically about uh, how they receive communion, what they believe about communion. Uh, So the church in Corinth is notoriously, it's a mess. Uh, lots of division, lots of infighting, lots of public and scandalous sin going on in the church. Uh, and this infiltra- infiltrates even how they practice communion. And so St. Paul here is addressing them. So starting with 1 Corinthians 11:17. 17. Now, in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. Indeed, there have to be factions among you. For only so will it become clear who among you are genuine. When you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. For when a time comes to eat, each of you goes ahead with your own supper and one goes hungry, and another becomes drunk. What, do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I commend you? In this matter, I do not commend you. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. Examine yourselves, and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body, eat and drink judgment against themselves. For this reason, many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If you are hungry, eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for your condemnation. About the other things, I will give instructions when I come. All right, so very specifically, Paul is concerned with how uh, the church is receiving communion what their practices and beliefs are around communion, uh, and very concerned with the very act of eating and drinking. So with that in mind, I'm going to set the text aside for a moment, and we'll come back to it. Uh, But then I want to look at the catechism uh, to finish up the last questions that Luther has for us. And if you want to follow along, again, in the hymnal, it's 1,166. Okay, so you'll remember last week we talked about, well, what is communion? It is the true body and blood of our Lord, in, with, and under the bread and the wine. It is given to us by Christ's command to eat and to drink. And so the next section, then Luther asked this question, what is the benefit of such eating and drinking? He says, the words given for you and shed for you for the forgiveness of sin show us that forgiveness of sin, life, and salvation are given to us in the sacrament through these words, because where there is forgiveness of sin, there is also life and salvation. And then the big question, how can bodily eating and drinking do such great things? Eating and drinking certainly do not do it, but rather the words that are recorded, given for you and shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. These words, when accompanied by the physical eating and drinking, are the essential things in the sacrament. And whoever believes these very words has what they declare in state, namely forgiveness of sin. And then finally, who then receives this sacrament worthily? So fasting and bodily preparation are in fact external discipline, but a person who has faith in these words given for you and shed for you for the forgiveness of sin is really worthy and well-prepared. However, a person who does not believe these words or doubts them is unworthy and unprepared because the words for you require truly believing hearts. So one of the things we notice that Luther puts an emphasis on and Lutherans themselves will put an emphasis on when it comes to communion is that the body and blood are meant to be eaten, and meant to be drunk. Uh, It is a practice, even today, in the Roman Catholic Church especially, uh, but even more so in Luther's day, uh, a practice that's sometimes called Eucharistic Adoration, uh, where the consecrated host, uh, the bread, is left on the altar, uh, so that people can just be in the presence of the bread, Uh, They'll sit in front of the presence uh, and meditate and pray and believe that there's a special holiness or a special reverence that comes by just being in the presence of the consecrated bread. Uh, This has led to things like, that still happen today, like Corpus Christi festivals and Corpus Christi parades uh, where literally there's a liturgical procession uh, where the host where the body of Christ is paraded in the streets and celebrated uh, To show its holiness uh, With the belief that there's a special blessing that comes with even just being in the presence of the consecrated sacrament uh, And this led to a practice called spiritual communion uh, Where you can get the benefits the grace of the sacrament without actually taking in the sacrament being in his presence, uh, praying, being devout, gives you a special kind of grace. Uh, this led to some, some false beliefs, especially in Luther's day, uh, surrounding communion especially. Uh, so in Luther's day, a lot of people themselves did not feel worthy to receive communion. They thought it was too holy. Right? We could be in the presence of communion, but we should not take communion. It's too holy for us. It's too special for us. Then uh, because of this, all kinds of superstitions rose up during the time of the Reformation in the Roman Catholic Church. It was not unusual for people to come up for communion and take the host and put it in their pocket to take it home uh, because they believed they had this holy thing in their presence, they believed they could keep it in their home, and then they would be blessed, specially because they had the consecrated bread in their house. Uh, some farmers would bury it, you know, in their, in their wheat fields or their bean fields uh, as a good luck charm, basically, thinking, well, I put Holy Communion in my field, so it's going to be extra prosperous this season. Uh, or even they would feed it to a cow uh, to keep the cow healthy, or something like that. Uh, and so because of the superstitions that rose around communion and some of the beliefs that rose around it, Luther said, okay, hold up. Go back to what the actual scripture says. Right? When Christ gives us the bread and the wine that is his body and blood, he says, take and eat. Right? And so the true grace of the sacrament is doing just as Christ says with it. It's in the eating and the drinking of it, right? And, and, I, and I'm not here to, to just put down Catholics or anything like that, because I'm sure there's much spiritual benefit sitting in front of the consecrated host in a quiet church, praying, meditating, uh, might be a good spiritual thing to do, but it's not receiving the sacrament it's not the grace that Christ has promised, because he's promised it in the eating and the drinking of it. And so Lutherans really emphasized that in the Reformation. They wanted to get rid of any superstition around the sacrament and to say the promise is attached to the eating and drinking. And that makes so much sense biblically, uh, that the benefits would come from eating and drinking. Uh, It's a cliche and it's an old saying but it's true that a path to a man's heart runs through his stomach right uh, our most celebrated times our most memorable times happen around meals meal time is sacred to us it is special to us there's something that bonds us together in meals uh, there's something that endears us to, to eating uh, so when God created us there was something special in eating that connects us to creation, but connects us to the creator himself. So the eating and drinking is not arbitrary. Uh, communion itself, then, as eating and drinking, is also a kind of reversal of what happened in the Garden of Eden. Right? By eating against God's word, we're condemned. Right? Sin and death came into the world through eating. Eating what God told us was not good for us. And so now God has reversed that. And so by eating what his word tells us to eat, uh, we are given life and salvation and forgiveness. All right. And so the actual eating and drinking, it's not arbitrary, it's not random, uh, but it's part of this bigger, bigger picture of how God is redeeming us, how He's forgiving us. Uh, So kind of turning our attention back to 1 Corinthians 11, uh, we, we can say that communion is more than a symbol. That's what we focused on last week, right? I hammered that, that for Luther is means is, right? When Christ says this is my body, this is my blood, we are to take it at faith and to believe it. We don't need to speculate about how, But we receive it, and we trust that he is God, uh, and his word is sure, and so we receive it for what it is. Uh, But then, you know, what do you do with that? Is there a way in the New Testament that expands on that in any way? And so this text in Corinthians really does. Because what we see in 1 Corinthians 11 is that Saint Paul says that some are eating and drinking in communion to their judgment. He says some even who have eaten and drunk unworthily are now sick and that some have even died. Some have been disciplined, they've been judged by receiving communion unworthily. And so the point here is that everyone who comes up and receives communion, who partakes in communion, is receiving Christ. Um, Some other reformers said that only true believers receive Christ when they come to communion. For non-believers, they were just receiving bread and wine. But Luther looked at this text in particular and said no, because everyone, whether they were eating worthily or not, was receiving Christ. For the unbeliever, they were receiving Christ as the righteous judge. Right, they were eating to their own condemnation, to their own judgment, to their own discipline. For the believer, however, we receive Christ in the sacrament as our Savior. Right, everyone who comes to communion is receiving Christ. But for the believer, they're receiving all of Christ's benefits. The benefits of his death and resurrection are being applied to us in communion. But for the unbeliever, they're receiving Christ as judge. And so in Corinthians, we see what Paul says to those who did not believe. These people were coming to communion uh, selfishly, he says. They were worried about looking good, looking rich in front of the community. Um, it seems like that they were bringing the best bread and the best wine that they had, and they were feasting on it during communion and kind of bragging about it, and they were not sharing it with the whole assembly. So he says they were even getting drunk on their own wine. Uh, you know, they, they were eating selfishly. They were, they were separating into cliques and divisions. right? And so they weren't coming to communion to receive the benefits of Christ. They weren't coming to receive forgiveness of their sins, to life for salvation. Uh, They were coming for exactly the wrong reason, to celebrate themselves, uh, to have a party, something like that, uh, for selfish reasons. They weren't coming to receive Christ. And so Paul says they were judged for it. And when they received communion in that way, they did to their own detriment. Um, so what we see in Corinthians is that for all of us, communion is serious business. All right, we talked, I talked last week about the example of, of clergy who said, okay, we're going to use chips, Ahoy cookies, and milk for communion, um, or Doritos and juice or whatever. Um, that does not jibe with what Paul is saying in Corinthians. Right? This, is, this is serious. This is something holy. This is something real. This is the real presence of God. And so we want, we want to come to communion knowing that. But Luther knows, especially as someone who had an acute conscience, who was very aware of his own sin. Um, I've talked about that here in these midweek services that Luther you know when he was still a catholic friar was spending time hours and hours in confession he was very aware of his sin very aware of being a sinner in the presence of god being very scared of god's judgment and so he he reads this as well in corinthians and says well if i'm a sinner how can i come to communion worthily, right? Those of us who have consciences that tell us we're sinners. How can we say that we're worthy to come receive the body and blood of our Lord? And so that's what he addresses in this question. Who then receives the sacrament worthily? Uh, He says fasting and bodily preparation are are in fact to find external discipline uh, so, even in today in the Catholic Church, you're required to fast before receiving communion um, at least one hour. You're not supposed to eat anything before coming to Mass. Um, and so, Luther, in Luther's day, I mean, that was taken to the extreme of the kind of fasting and preparation you were supposed to do for communion. Uh, but what Luther points out is that it's not the fasting that's going to make you worthy of the sacrament. Uh, You don't come to the sacrament based on something that you have done. But he says, do you have faith in the words given for you? Do you have faith in the words shed for the forgiveness of your sin? If so, then you're prepared to receive communion. Then you're worthy to receive communion. right? Because that's what's not going on in Corinthians, in the church in Corinth, right? These people were not coming to communion for the forgiveness of their sins. They were coming for their own selfishness, for their own pride, or whatever their motivations were. It wasn't because they wanted Christ. And so Luther says, indeed, we want to come to the sacrament knowing that it's for our benefit. And so we can examine ourselves uh, before we come to communion. But when we examine ourselves, we want to ask ourselves, am I a sinner in need of forgiveness? Right. And if you can answer that question, yes, I'm a sinner, I need forgiveness, uh, then you're worthy for communion. You're worthy to receive it because that's what it's there for. You know, if you believe that you're a sinner who needs to be forgiven, that's what communion's there for. So if you believe that Christ is going to forgive you in the sacrament, then you're prepared to receive it. Uh, Luther even, in his large catechism, says, even if you don't feel like a sinner, even if you examine yourself and you feel cold, you feel like you don't really care about your sin, you don't feel a whole lot, he says, as long as you trust in that promise, then you're prepared. Right? Trust in that forgiveness, even if it doesn't feel like anything to you. It doesn't feel special. You don't feel close to God. You don't feel like you need forgiveness. You don't feel anything. He says, come to the sacrament. Ask God to awaken your heart and receive it based on his word. Right? Because that's always the emphasis here. It's not something interior to us Uh, our interior feelings our interior beliefs they don't validate the sacrament but it's God's promise so just trust in God's promise and you're worthy and you're prepared so on the other hand Luther will say if however you want to remain in your sins um, if you don't want forgiveness you don't want Christ in your life, right? then you shouldn't come to the sacrament. Because you're inviting Christ into your life when you receive the sacrament. You're taking in Christ. You're taking in his forgiveness and his promise. So if you don't want that, you're only taking in judgment. Uh, You're only taking in condemnation. So if you want to remain in your sins, if you don't want his forgiveness, then don't come to the sacrament. However, for baptized Christians, that's not going to be the case. Uh, those who are living in the faith, those who trust in the word, they can come to the sacrament knowing that they're coming prepared. Communion, uh, this has been a controversy of late, especially in Lutheran churches, but communion is for baptized Christians. Uh, there's, There's been a push in certain Protestant churches and Lutheran churches of late to say that communion is for everyone, regardless of what they believe, regardless of their faith, that the table is hospitable for everyone, anywhere. It doesn't matter. But we want to be a little more discriminant about communion precisely because we say Christ is really present there. And if a person hasn't received the new birth, they haven't received the promise of forgiveness of sins, uh, then they themselves are not united to Christ. And so we say, baptize them first. Have that promise that they are united to Christ. And then welcome them into the sacrament. Uh, and that's not always a hard and fast rule. Uh, circumstances change uh, but generally, as Lutherans, we say that communion is for those who have been baptized into the faith, who have received that promise, so that they know without a doubt that they're receiving communion for their good. They're receiving the benefits in it. Uh, this is also controversy in Lutheran circles. As some of you might know, that. Uh, Missouri Synod Lutherans and those in the former Synodical Conference Lutherans, you cannot commune with them unless you yourself are a Missouri Synod Lutheran uh, or Wisconsin Synod um, and some of the other ones. Uh, The table is not open only for them. Generally, we say that any baptized Christian who wants the forgiveness of sins is welcome to receive. Uh, They close off the communion for the same basic reason that I'm saying, that they want to be certain um, that you're receiving the sacrament for your good and not to your detriment. And so in their mind, the way that they know that that's certain is that because you're a member of their church, you've been catechized properly in their church, you know what they believe. uh, And so... They kind of put the fence in that way. Uh, It's not so much that they're uh, being just exclusive or they think they're better than everyone or anything like that, Uh, but it's discerning this question of how do you know someone is receiving the body and the blood of Christ for their good? Um, And this is a way that they say, okay, this is the way we can help you discern that. So, just if you ever wind up in a Missouri Senate church, know that uh, they are not going to commune you, probably. You have to talk. Or talk to the pastor, yeah, um, or the elders. Right, yeah. If they know you, there's a chance they might commune you. Um, right. not question. Yeah. Policy wise, they're going to. Depends on the pastor. Some are not going to commune anyone who's not a member of a Missouri Ascended Church. Some will after talking to you. Um, Some won't care at all. Depends on the pastor of the church. But by policy, they're going to want to talk to you if you're not a member of their church. um, And they'll discern from there. I would just say that charitably they're not doing it because they don't think you're good enough or there's something wrong with you. Uh, But they're trying to be faithful to what St. Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, that that the person who is receiving it has examined themselves, that they're receiving it because they want the forgiveness of sins. Uh, Catholics as well, if you go to Catholic Mass uh, as a Protestant, it's expected that you won't come up for communion, uh, you won't receive communion in a similar way that they say, well, you don't believe what we believe, um, so we can't be sure that you're receiving for your benefit. So they ask you not to. Uh, And that rubs people the wrong way. It always has. Uh, But just charitably, it's because they're trying to be faithful as they can. So I try to be charitable. and not, if I go to a Catholic service not to expect them to give me the the sacrament or something <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Lots of priests, lots of priests will, lots of parishes will Yeah. You told Brett to tell us. Yeah. To up, okay, so we did. You know, and if you go up, they're not going to They're not going to throw you up or turn you down likely um, in a Catholic mass anyway. Uh, most Missouri Senate pastors if you come up aren't going to commune you if they don't know you. Um no, in Wisconsin, synodical conference pastors won't. Um, so anyway, just I'm just coming to their defense a little bit and saying they're trying to be faithful, and um, how they understand it, but not that they're trying to be arrogant. All right. So this question of examining yourself, coming prepared, coming worthily to communion, uh, has also looked. Like, different things in Lutheran practice. Uh, One of the more, again, another recent controversy is about the age of First Communion. Uh, For a long time in Lutheran practice, you didn't commune until you were confirmed. uh, Eighth is 13 years old, 14, something like that. So a lot of you probably grew up uh, with that practice of not receiving until you were confirmed. And it was for this reason. Do you understand what communion is? Do you understand the teaching of the church, Uh, so that you're not eating in an unworthy manner? That's been kind of opened up a little bit, especially in our our churches, which say, well, you know, an eight-year-old, a seven-year-old, a nine-year-old, somewhere along that spectrum can understand that they're receiving Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, Now maybe not every nine-year-old is going to understand that. Um, And so you look at a case-by-case kind of basis, rather than creating one rule that fits everybody. Every child is going to be different spiritually and emotionally, and uh, how they're catechized in their home, and that sort of thing. And so Lutherans in the last 50 years, I've kind of recognized that. Um, that you can look at it individually and say, does the child understand to an extent that they're receiving Christ for their good? And do they want that? Do they want the forgiveness of sins? Uh, so again, practices, there vary, churches vary on it. Um, and there's debate about it and still debate about it. But it all goes back to this question in 1 Corinthians 11 uh, about eating in an unworthy manner and examining yourselves. Uh, so the big point here and the big takeaway that I want to get to is that, because I mean, I've been clear that I have an advocate for frequent communion, uh, that communing frequently is good. Uh, But the reason I make that argument is because, as Luther would say, and as I think even St. Paul would get to here, is that you want to make use of the sacrament for your own spiritual benefit. Receiving the sacrament can be used against your sinful flesh, against your doubts, against the attacks of the devil. First off, because communion is an opportunity to examine yourself, and to repent of your sins. Uh, It's an opportunity to come to the service to confess your sins, to receive absolution, and then to hear concretely the promise that you are forgiven. And so one of the benefits of communion is the opportunity simply to examine yourself. Uh, And this is the old Lutheran practice. uh, Probably predates any of you all, but... A hundred years ago, Lutherans generally in America communed four times a year, quarterly or so, uh, because they took that so seriously. One of the reasons, they took that seriously. Examine yourself. Um, And so in the older Lutheran churches, if you wanted to commune on Sunday, you would come to Confession of Sin service on Saturday. Uh, You would register with the pastor. Declaring your intentions to commune, Um, you would go through a public service of confession and absolution so that you would know you were prepared. But they took that seriously. But even for us, with more frequent communion, it is that opportunity to examine yourself. Uh, And that's not, don't hear me say torment yourself or torment your conscience trying to drag up sins. But what I'm saying is you have a chance, when you receive communion, to look at yourself as a sinner and say that, I need Christ's forgiveness. And then to make yourself even more eager to receive his promise. All right, and so we examine ourselves, we can hold up the Ten Commandments and say, I violated this one, I violated this one. I truly need Christ's promise of forgiveness, right, and communion then becomes all that much sweeter all that much more of a gift for us. Uh, But frequent communion is also this acknowledgement that in our spiritual lives, we're frequently under attack, right? Satan wants us to doubt our identity as children of God. He wants us to be spiritually tormented, to not trust in Christ's promise. And so frequent communion is that opportunity to hear again and again and again what Christ has done for you, that Christ is there for you, that he's giving you the benefits of his death and resurrection over and over in abundance, right? That he's there for you. His forgiveness is always there. So we need all the help that we can get in this life. And so communion, again, is an opportunity to enjoy the great gifts that Christ is one for us. Uh, with our last few minutes, any thoughts, any questions that came up, uh, not only tonight, but over the last five weeks, or anything you want to talk about? I just yeah? want to say I've taken my classes up at Finland, yeah. and there's lots of many and churches. People from all, over. and I know there's only got one or two of us churches. The rest of all the rest of them take in once a week. Yeah. I was like, really? I mean, that's just <clears throat> what I know. That since being yeah. but they. When I lived in the Chicago area, sometimes the choir did three services on Sunday. Sometimes the choir would sing at all three services. One time one of our choir members asked, our senior pastor, do I need to commune at every service that we're singing at? He said, well, you think you may have sinned between between (laughs) services? Sometimes we don't know the sin that we've committed. We have sins known and unknown. He said, take communion at every service. Every chance you get, take communion. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. There are good reasons and bad reasons for frequent communion and weekly communion. Uh, just because it is a ritual or it's a tradition, that's a bad reason. Just because it's historic practice or ancient practice, that's a bad reason. The good reason is that it's the opportunity to hear again and again the promises of God for us. All right, that's why we want communion. This is Christ promising himself to us. So that's the goodness in it. It's not the ritual. Like I said, it's not la- like last week. It's not about a sacrifice that we make. It's not something we're doing for God. It's that opportunity to hear the promises over and over. Yeah. Uh, like in the, in the Catholic faith, uh, they never give the parishioners the, uh, the wine. Oh, yeah. They only give them away the from Yeah. Uh, what's the significance of that? Because it's, uh, you're not you're not particular in eating and drinking. Yeah. Uh, I don't know the whole Catholic rationale. This was something that Luther uh, really fought hard against. Because he looked at the words of Scripture, and Christ says, take eat, take drink, right? That clearly Christ is giving both. Uh, Catholics would say that when you receive the bread, you're receiving... Both, you're receiving the body and the blood, the fullness of Christ in just bread, Um, and so the laity don't have to have the cup, and so the cup gets reserved, especially for the clergy. Uh, The rationale behind it, it's it's probably convoluted in my opinion, but uh, yeah, Lutherans are very clear, right? That the words of Scripture say that when Christ instituted it, it was bread and wine. So uh, following his command, that's what we stay true to. Uh, after Vatican II in the Catholic Church in the 60s, the, the laity could receive the cup after that. Uh, so a lot of Catholic masses, they do offer the cup to the laity now, uh, more so than they did in the past, but they're not obligated to. So in some Catholic masses it's only the bread and some you'll get both but yeah that's that's a good observation it's something that really uh really angered Luther during the reformation was that 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 the Christians weren't given both the bread and the wine as Christ said so yeah yeah too often, I think it may lose its special meaning. Yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the argument against it, right? That, that if you commune too often, you lose the specialness. That's a risk. Uh, it's always a risk. Will it just become another ritual, right? That you're going up without thinking, without meaning. You're receiving, and it doesn't mean anything or do anything for you. Uh, that's always a risk. And so that's why, as Lutherans, we say, before you come to communion, always examine yourselves. Um, Understand that you are in need of forgiveness. You're in need of the promise. You know, the classic kind of response to that, does it lose its specialness, is always, you know, we should kiss our spouse every day. Does it lose specialness if we kiss our spouse every day? Um, And those looking at me like, do you kiss me every day or not? Um, You know, but ideally it's not something, even if emotionally it's not as charged, if I kiss my wife tonight, it's probably not the same as when we were 21 years old. Um, But... Does the act itself, does it build us together? Does it build our relationship? And so just taking communion more often, does it grow us in our faith? Does it encourage us in our relationship with the Lord? Um, And that's not to dismiss your argument because there is something true to that, that it can become just a ritual, just another thing to get through. Um, And so you'll always have to be on guard from that. And I think that it comes from knowing that this is the promise of God for you. Right? We need that. We need to hear that over and over. But like you, you do it as often as you do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and, you know, Christ says, do it often in remembrance of me, so um, And again, I don't want to get into arguments about how often is it often enough, and some churches do it this way and this way. Um, you know, every congregation and every believer uh, can come to their own conclusions, but uh, I just want to make the argument that communion is there as a gift to us, um, and God gives it to us to strengthen our faith, to trust in His word. I have a kind of but when I was growing up, yeah. the wine. Uh, and he wiped himself over because of and blessed and had come yeah. blood of Christ yeah. like, had to be poured out on the ground. Yeah. Is that still... Yeah, pain? so, yeah. Um It shouldn't be just... Yeah, it shouldn't just be... shouldn't just be tossed in the sink or in the trash or anything like that, but should be consumed or disposed of reverently. Um, yeah, because this is the true body and blood of Christ. Now... The benefit of the sacrament, like I said, is in the eating and drinking for us. Um, however, we acknowledge that you know, Christ is doing something in this bread, in this wine. He is present. So we want to treat it as holy matter. Um, you know, and that's not to make an idol of it or parade it around or anything like that, but to recognize that it's a holy gift. I just so yeah, yeah yeah, ideally, hopefully we're treating, 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 treating the blood of Christ reverently.. Yeah. Well, yeah, um, it's still eating and drinking, so there's always going to be something that's imperfect. There's always going to be something messy about it. You can't always avoid crumbs or spills or you know, um, but I think Christ understands.